The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze with Grace Goller. Dealing with cancer is by no means easy to handle, but our program aims to make it easier through knowledge. Whether you've been recently diagnosed, are going through treatment right now, or are a survivor, our program will have points that you should hear. And by sharing our stories together, we'll make it truly a life-changing experience that you don't have to go through alone. Now, here is your host, Grace Goller. Welcome to today's Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm Grace Goller, your host. Alan Slater has had a lifetime of personal caregiving and then chose a vocation in caregiving as well as a career as a family therapist and counsellor, which we'll hear about today. Carers, especially long-term carers, are challenged by a wide range of emotional, psychological and spiritual issues. Some take on the task willingly, where for others it can be a responsibility that has come into their lives uninvited. I asked Alan to be a guest on today's show to bring attention to the tremendous role and influence that carers play in the lives of cancer patients and others who experience chronic or short-term compromised health. As well as the need to remember that carers need to care for themselves and learn to do their own self-care. One of the issues of being part-time or full-time carer can be a loss of identity, even resentment about time spent caring for others. And these are real issues. The need for help, support or just time out is very important. Caregivers, in fact, can give so much care, they easily learn to normalise the abnormal and forget that they too have their life to live in balance with the person that they care for. So, a warm welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze, Alan Slater. Um, Alan, the show is predominantly for um, cancer patients, for uh, their families, people who are dealing with cancer, know people with cancer. So many of us in life become caregivers or loved ones. Um, our loved ones get affected by cancer and, and we've got no tools to deal with this. There's no sort of license for life's big events. Um, so we're often really ill-equipped to deal with it. And that's where uh, you and the organisations uh, that you're involved with come in. So first of all, I'd like you to share your story with our listeners and why you chose a vocation in caregiving. Well, Grace, it actually chose me. Um, I've been a carer most of my life since I was five years of age. My grandmother lived with us and she had cancer. And my parents had a um, business. My mum had a butcher shop and my father had a supermarket. And so my grandmother came to live with us um, because she needed to be taken care of. And so when I came home from school, 
It was always me looking after my grandma and used to, you know, she had ulcers on her legs so I used to have to bathe them and dress them and that sort of thing. And the gift that my grandmother gave to me was, was teaching me how to take care of her. But it was also that she used to sing me the most beautiful Christian songs and, you know, just have that beautiful time with her. And, and it was just a, a beautiful place to be. And then um, my brother had a major accident when he came to Australia with his young wife and unfortunately she was killed in the accident. And my brother, um, he was severely injured and the driver of the vehicle, he uh, had the steering wheel embedded in his chest and lots of major injuries and he died a couple of days later. But my brother, he was in a coma for nine weeks my mother, she flew from England to Australia to take care of him and um, anyway brought him home but he was changed, he had uh, you know, severe brain injury and, and all sorts of different complications that happened and so he became a very violent person, we didn't really know him as the person that he was mm -hmm. and so it was really quite you know, a difficult time in our family um, my mother was also a um, manic depressive so it was very interesting life with her and um, you know she'd swing from one end of the spectrum right through to the other you know and um, and then um, my uh, mother had to go into a nursing home and my father couldn't cope and so I took over guardianship from my mum and administration and um, my father then he couldn't go and visit my mother it was just too much for him and he ended up having um, cancer and had to have a kidney removed and he died in 2004 from complications with pneumonia and that sort of thing and at the time um, I got married um, in 1985 and I had my little girl in 1986 and then in 1990 my husband was diagnosed with um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and in 1992 he was given six weeks to live. So I took over the role of caring for him and um, he had heart failure, he developed diabetes and um, he had all sorts of different complications that came with that and when he uh, coughed he used to um, pass out with cough syncope. So, you know, my life was very, very much immersed in caregiving. It was a job that I didn't know was a job. It was just something that you did because you loved somebody, you know. And, um, yeah, so he died in 2008. But he wouldn't go into hospice. I tried to arrange hospice because I knew that I needed to study because I had a little girl. And I knew that one day I was going to be a widow. So um, it was like, well, how can I you know, earn an income for my family and take care of them, you know, financially as well as emotionally and every other way. So I studied. So when um, it was time for me to go to uh, residential school, you know, I had a lot of problems trying to get him into hospice. He wouldn't go and he wouldn't have um, in-services come to our home. So my little girl then, at the age of 13, then became a young carer. So, um, you know, that was the journey. It's a fairly amazing journey. And mm. I'll um, 
diverge a little bit here with our questions because mm. I'm interested to know um, how you as a person gets through that. I mean, are you a naturally um, positive, optimistic person? Um, how do you deal with the resentment? I know a lot of caregivers talk to me and they feel quite guilty about this. How do you deal with the resentment of being a caregiver when all your life is sort of going into another person? Can you share some insights on that? Yeah, it was very much like Groundhog's Day. You know, you wake up, day was going to be the same and just a different day. The levels of care sometimes were different because I used to have to give him injections and, and test his blood, you know, for sugar levels and all that sort of thing. And it usually was once a year we'd have to go into hospital because I just couldn't manage infections because he was very prone to infections. And... Um, and so at times, I remember writing him a letter one time because he wouldn't fight. And, um, and I got really angry, you know, because I thought, well, here you are, you know, doing what you're doing. And, and in my mind, it was really quite selfish um, that, you know, he, he, mm. wouldn't, he wouldn't help me, you know, as in, come on, we need to do something that you know is going to give us a, a positive attitude than this you, you're choosing to live so we need to get on that bandwagon of, of hope and being in faith and um, and I wrote him this letter and explained to him exactly how I felt uh, for me it was probably more uh, therapeutic than him <laughs> <laughs> but um, he used to, I used to get resentful my husband was 21 years older than me and I truly believed he thought I was Florence Nightingale, you know, that he thought that I could do everything, you know. So mm-hmm. there was never any respite for me. If I'd go out for a, an hour to go and get the shopping, it was always being accused of doing something that I was never doing. And, um, you know, so, you know, at times you would build up resentment. And at times I used to think, oh, I have no life. And, that, mm-hmm. you know, when we met, I was 25. When he died, I was 50. I had no life, none. And, mm. you know, it was also very difficult seeing my young daughter, you know, growing up into this beautiful young woman, yet she was being immersed in this. So when she was 17 and said, Mum, you know, I'd really like to go and live with my boyfriend, it was like, well, it wasn't shock horror. It was like, OK, baby, you need to go. You yeah. need to go. I've got it, you know. <laughs> um, it's okay, and you need to form a life of your own. Yeah, you've hit on some really important points there that mm. many um, cancer patients, many of the carers of cancer patients, mm. they have a dynamic where often they, it's not clear-cut communication between them, and so they don't really quite know where they stand. I like your letter idea a lot, even if you said it was slightly <laughs> self-indulgent um, with that. But... Uh, these are the issues that I started off talking about today because no one tells us how to do this. We fall into life, we fall into these things and uh, we do learn a lot along the way and it's that wisdom and experience that I see that you've put now and kind of transformed it. You've really, really done a bit of uh, spinning your um, straw into gold. Yes, yes, it was, it was time. But the thing, I think the greatest thing that I lost Grace was I didn't know who I was. Yeah, I just completely lost myself. Um, at university, I was doing well. I even got the golden key from the UNE, and when it arrived, I, I thought that they sent it to the wrong address. 
because to me, you know, I was getting up so early in the morning to study and having so many interruptions during the day and it was like, you know, living with the saboteur, you know, that was trying to, you know, sabotage because my, my study was taking over time that he wanted, you know, for him. Mm. And um, so it was very, very difficult um, studying. But anyway, um, got through it and, and did and did well. So I'm very grateful for that. But you do, you, get, you just get very resentful um, about the time that a person wants from you. You know, I know that he was scared. I know that he was frightened. I know that his whole status as being a man and being a father and being provider was taken away from him yeah you know it was pretty traumatic doesn't make it any easier though even if we understand it does it because but what you're talking about is the real stuff and um it's really important i think to talk about that real stuff oh yeah yeah and i was frightened too you know there was many times that he'd collapse on the floor and because he was on so much cortisone you know his uh, his body would bloat and you know his skin would become so fragile you know and um you know, sometimes you had to be the nurse and you had to be the doctor and you had to be, you know, the cook, the cleaner, you know, the everything all rolled into one. At the time, I didn't even think I was a carer. He was my husband. You know, mm. And that's what you did. Gives you an amazing background for the rest of your work. Would you believe we're very soon coming up to our first break <laughs> of navigating the cancer maze? But I think it's really very helpful for our listeners to identify with someone. And you seem to have it like a cascade. It's like your life is an opera <laughs> with the various acts <laughs> in it. And um, I think it's very helpful for people to hear about that and identify with it. So I'm glad you've taken a while to tell us actually the detail and in the next session we'll talk about how that led you into Carers Queensland and then into your new venture so don't go away folks we'll be back shortly on Navigating the Cancer Maze talking with Alan Slater about caregivers Steps to a healthier you Voice America Health and Wellness Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Grace Scholar Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. The Institute's founder has almost 40 years' experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options and implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Grace Scholar Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at gracegoller.com or visit their website at gracegollerinstitute.com. Listen each week to Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller, from the Grace Goller Institute as she interviews cancer medicine experts, researchers, allied health professionals, patients, and caregivers. Navigating the Cancer Maze provides you with information, education, inspiration, and a toolkit that will equip you wherever you are and whoever you are to effectively navigate your way through the cancer maze. The Grace Scholar Institute also provides ebook resources. Be inspired. Be empowered. Visit the Institute's website at www.gracegollarinstitute.com or email institute at gracegollar.com. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Guller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Welcome back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm Grace Cooley, your host, here today with Ellen Slater. And both of us have been caregivers, and we're talking about caregiving today. And um, Ellen's going to share with us her knowledge of caregivers. Um, in Australia, do you know how many people are involved in caregiving? Well, we have uh, stats from the ABS, but I would actually say, you know, we have far more carers that are actually identified as carers because a lot of people like me they don't identify as carers they identify as a wife or a mother or a, a sibling in their family or a cousin or a friend and so they they just do that caregiving role because it's their duties yeah, yeah it's duty and nurturing yeah yeah that's that's who they are so I couldn't actually give you an accurate figure but I know from the stats that we've got uh, from Carers Queensland that I know that there are over 500,000 caregivers in, in Queensland. Wow, that's a big figure. Oh, yes. And we've got 74,000 young carers. And that's ranging from the age of 6 to 25. That is astounding. Mm. Yep. So, Carers Queensland, tell us more about it, because obviously looking after uh, some of those uh, large demographics of people, how did the organisation begin? Well, the organisation began with carers, that carers um, wanted to set up an organisation, and then it flowed from there. So it's been 25 years in the making, we're celebrating 25 years this Mm -hmm. year. And we offer a gamut of services at Carers Queensland. It's not only a counselling program or an advocacy program, it's also that we offer a NILS program, which is an non-interest loan for carers, and they're able to pay back on a fortnightly basis what they're able to afford. I mean, they have to go through a process. But we have many, um, many carers that um, access the services because they need a new bed or they need a fridge, or they might need uh, registration and car repairs. They may need a number of things so that they can carry on their caring role, taking people to the, to the doctor or to specialists. They need a car that's not going to break down. Sure, there's a lot of practical things here, aren't there, as well as yes. the nurturing caring things. Oh, yes, and we have all sorts of different um, programs where we ha- we're a registered training organisation. So we've done certificate threes in, in different um, things so that we're able to help carers to go back into the workforce. Mm. You know, so... Um, and... We have 
um, all sorts of different programs where we have um, specialised people that help carers to navigate the maze of housing or you know uh, negotiation with disability services and things like that so, mm-hmm. and you know we have a better start program um, oh, we have a whole gamut of of services that are available so you know I would suggest to your carers that you know they um, have a look on the website you know Carers Queensland website mm-hmm. uh, we also have an eye care program that accesses all sorts of discounts uh, for carers and it comes through a $10 a year membership that's all Fantastic. So I will give um, those details on my blog, which is grayschoolandmedia.com. So if you have a look after the show, um, I'll have all those resources and phone numbers there for you. And there's some fantastic material and brochures um, that I found around the place. Also a CD, a carer's relaxation, which yes, is available. Yes, yeah. we also have one uh, for Aboriginal um, carers and uh, we also have a cold um program that we actually do as well so you know it's quite vast and the other benefit of our organisation is that we have 13 offices across the state so Mm. you know it's it's quite a large organisation I believe at the moment we have 107 staff that's wonderful all from small beginnings people power and passion and need can create wonderful things they do Um, people with mental illness um, these probably are people that get marginalised the carers of people with mental illness because there's so many different grades Mm. of what could be considered a you know some kind of psychological issue Mm. i believe that uh, your organization also has some special facilities for looking after those people yes we do we get two lots of um, funding and one particular funding is from faxia where we're able um, to employ two counselors that actually work with uh, carers that look after somebody with a mental health illness so when a referral comes in, then we allocate um, those carers to those specific um, counsellors that are able to help them. Mm-hmm. You know, because mental illness is still a stigma here in Australia. You know, and people are frightened of things, especially when they don't know. You know, they shun people with a mental health issue. Yeah. And it's very sad because then the family becomes stigmatised and you know, they, they become isolated in a different way. They're carers and they're carers on top of. So, <laughs> you know, it becomes very difficult for them. Yeah. Mm. It's amazing that Carers Australia have really, and Carers Queensland, have, have sort of put their um, their tentacles out so far into the Indigenous community as well. Oh, yes. Uh, well, we're part of the Reconciliation Australia program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so we've been working very diligently on that I'm actually part of that committee and uh, we're going leaps and bounds into accessing services you know with um, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and so um, we're building collaboration uh, with service providers so that we're able to offer the best possible care we also have a contract with Albert Chopper and up in um, Cairns where we actually broker um, that service provider to be able to give count, uh, counselling to um, 
people from that region. Mm-hmm. Um, what we've done in, within our counselling program is that um, we've written a group, and it's called From Chaos to Clarity, and it's to help uh, caregivers to be able to go through that maze of, you know, when a person is unwell, you know, what do they need? They have the dignity and right to say what they need when they're unwell. So we write contracts with the caregiver, you know, that they're able to take home and to be able to work out that contract with the person to say, well, this is what I need when I'm unwell and I give you permission to do that when I'm unwell. And uh, it's also um, for carers um, to be able to liaise with service providers and to liaise with doctors when sometimes the terminology is so difficult to understand and to understand medication and what's it going to do. And if a person is not compliant on medication, what can you do? So, you know, we try to support the carer in every aspect of looking after somebody with a mental health diagnosis. It's a really great model. Now, does this model extend outside of Australia to any of the Commonwealth countries, or is it just an individual model within our our country and states? Well, it is a model that uh, we've developed at Carers Queensland. Um, Every association, Carers Australia is, is the head of the organisation, mm-hmm. so it's Carers Australia, and they're based in Canberra. And each one then of the states has an association. How they run theirs may be at times differently how we run ours. Right. But when you've lived with somebody that has mental health issues, you have more of an understanding of being able to get into the moccasins of somebody else that's living that experience. Sure. So that's how it comes evolved mm-hmm. from that. So for those of you who are listening in other countries I will make it a, a certain task uh, this week to actually find resources for care groups caregiver groups um, support groups and I'll also include that on grayschoolmedia.com um, <clears throat> There are service providers like Arathme um, Sane all those sort of places um, that do look after people with mental health issues mm-hmm. and they also look after the carers. How they run groups though, I don't know and I know that you know with different places that we've been able to build collaborative relationships like with aftercare, we're able then to go in and do um, like art therapy. We're also able to um, offer counselling as well but that's that's only a short, mm. you know, one day per week that we're able to offer. But, I mean, it's amazing that we have been able to build these collaborative relationships because, you know, I, I always look at the word team and it's like together each achieves much, you know. For sure. Um, what are the common issues that you and your staff have helped carers with? If you had to list... A little list. What would they? What would the most common things be? Well, probably the biggest one would be depression. Mm-hmm. Another one would be caregiver burnout. Yep. Uh, and also the stress of what it is like to be a care caregiver. Yep. And you know, isolation, ha- having relationships because people, you know, when you're looking after someone, um, they don't know what to say. 
you know, they don't know how to behave. Mm. And so they go away, you know, most of the time. And, um, you know, so it's been a lot of stress, you know, for people uh, not being able to cope in different ways, loss of relationships. And we deal a lot with grief and loss, as you can imagine. Mm. Mm. So I can see on the um, public health dollar um, for the government, you guys are actually making a very big impact Mm. in steering people perhaps away from what could become a long-term serious problem in in terms of depression or burnout or um, even like it's a post-traumatic stress and you have this on both sides you have the person who's ill who's going through their issues and the carer and sometimes they're just going in two parallel lines and not really meeting and I think the biggest factor too Grace is that carers don't look after themselves they're always at the end of the dream pool you know, they're too tired, maybe, to look after themselves. Yeah. You know, so we do a lot of work around self-care, you know, having hobbies, you know, going and having that time to have a bath and have a bit of a soak, you know, read a book, you know, go and just sit in nature for a little while because they need to rejuvenate their energy. We also do a lot of mindfulness and relaxation techniques with our, with our carers. You know, to be able to not have the breath right up in the chest, you know, um, yeah. and work with a lot of that fight flight um, responses that they that they have. Yeah, stop eating the burnt toast. There's a lesson. Yes. <laughs> okay, we've come to the end of uh, our session on navigating the cancer maze. We're going to be back after the break talking about Alan Slater's latest exciting venture, which is one I'm very much looking forward to sharing with all of you. Don't go away. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. Listen each week to Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller, from the Grace Goller Institute as she interviews cancer medicine experts, researchers, allied health professionals, patients, and caregivers. Navigating the Cancer Maze provides you with information, education, inspiration, and a toolkit that will equip you wherever you are and whoever you are to effectively navigate your way through the cancer maze. The Grace Goller Institute also provides ebook resources. Be inspired. Be empowered. Visit the Institute's website at www.gracegollerinstitute.com or email institute at gracegoller.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. tuned into navigating the cancer maze with your host grace goller we'd love to hear from you today on our program please call us toll free from north america at 1-866-472-5792 that's 1-866-472-5792 international callers may dial in to 480-553-5759 you may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. We are back today on Navigating the Cancer Maze here with Alan Slater, who has a very exciting um, adventure that has really sprung from her life experience. So some of us don't do so well with our life experience and some turn it into the best that we can make of it. And it sounds like Alan has learned exactly how to do that. 
So can you tell us um, the concept of your new venture, Joylands Carers Retreat, and how that's come about? Mm-hmm. Well, this is something that's very dear to my heart, and it's been in my heart for over 30 years. And it all started when I was thinking, gee, I'd love to have a break. You know, I'd really like just to be me for a moment, you know, even just in a a small space of time, you know, it's like being me up, Scotty, you know, just give me that time that I could have by myself. But I never had the opportunity for this dream. It was always a dream, and I even had the name in a dream, but it was something that could never come to fruition. But when I was in it, and then when my husband passed away, I needed to work because I needed to take care of myself. So, you know, Joyland, uh, it's a place where people can come and just relax, just be, just rejuvenate for their caring role. Um, We have um, many different services that will be operating from Joyland. Uh, The main one is that it's been a purpose-built home and um, so the first level is also going to be my private practice as a family therapist. But then on the second level is going to be uh, the living area. i uh, built a um, tree house, that I call the tree house anyway, it's superb. And um, it's got trees all around it. And then on the top level is completely the carer's retreat. There's two double bedrooms. There's also a media room that's stocked with all a vast array of books and all sorts of different tastes of music. I've um, built a window seat that gets that beautiful morning sun so people can, you know, just read a book or, or just just relax in that space. And uh, then also they've got their own bathroom. So I've got a French tub in, in there and I've accessed also a um, person that makes um, organic materials like soaps and shampoos and conditioners that you know people can use all those sort of products and um, be able to use the bath and then you know I'm also providing all the meals um, breakfast morning tea lunch afternoon tea and dinner and people can be with us or that if they choose they can be by themselves whatever they would like to do Mm -hmm. And also, um, I'm going to have a bowl where people can uh, take a pick. You know, it's like a dipping thing, and people can take a pick. Um, and then that's what we do: um, go on a drive, or go for a picnic, go for a walk down the beach, do whatever it is to feed your soul, and just get in touch with your own self and what you need. Mm-hmm. There's so many beautiful places in Coffs Harbour and, you know, only a short drive away is Bellingen and Dorigo. The waterway, um, the waterfall way is absolutely majestic. It's just so beautiful. And then we've got the jetty at Coffs Harbour where anybody wants to go and fish. You know, there's so many different things and different eateries and cafes and beautiful places and lots of markets. So, you know, it's going to be a holistic place, you know, where people can just just be, enjoy themselves and the name Joyland is it's going to be a joy house mm-hmm. it's going to be totally focused on their needs and what they want and I've also accessed people in the community that are able to do massage um, that there's a lady that also does uh, Tai Chi and yoga that she does it on the beach and the beautiful part about where we live 
is that it's only 300 metres from the beach. It's only a short walk. And it's just, it's absolutely beautiful. The thing that mesmerised me on my first moment of walking on that beach was that the, the pebbles were the deepest black, you know, they were just so gorgeous. And then the other ones were as white as white, you know, so, you know, there's lots of enjoyment even on the beach. It's all sorts of different coloured pebbles and, and things like that on the beach, but and there's this, also this other area where it's all grass so you can have a picnic and, you know, pull up the umbrella and take a basket down and, and just... Nice self-care, I'm right in there myself right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just glorious. But it's so right, I mean, we, um, in the professions as well, of course, yeah, professionals' burnout is a really big oh, issue true. and often goes unrecognised by the professionals but very recognised by their families. Yes. Um, I believe you're going to do something around this particular area too. Yes, because I'm a staunch advocate for service providers um, having um, self-care. So also at Joyland, <coughs> excuse me, that service providers will be welcome to come and just be at Joyland as well and uh, we can do some intervention on self-care and, and preventative measures and boundary settings and that. So at um, Joyland in my counselling section of it, then I'll be running workshops and all sorts of things like that. I'm also um, having a group that's called Goddess Sisters. We've got so many wonderful women within the community that have so many gifts, yet they're not able to use them for one reason or another. So this group is specifically for women to come together to share their gifts with one another. And if a person just wants to sit and, and listen or to chat or whatever, it doesn't matter, you know. And I'll provide, be providing a scrumptious morning tea. And that is at no cost. It's just for people to get together, to mm -hmm. build community, you know. Yeah, so. that's what is needed also. Um, now this has already happened. Uh, when is the actual official launch going to be? Now the official launch is going to be on January the 21st and uh, the Mayor has been asked to uh, facilitate that and I've also um, invited a state and uh, federal MP but being Christmas, them on holidays, maybe they may not be able to come but I know that the Mayor is coming and um, so that that will be a lovely, um, well, it'll be a privilege and an honour for us for that to be. Fantastic. Now it's on acreage, isn't it? I know. It's only uh, on a small. Uh, it's on a small block of land. The whole house literally takes up the land. Where I've only just seen the pictures of this this <laughs> morning, folks. It's very beautiful. It gives the impression that it's you know on a. On a, quite a large block. Yes, the trees. Yeah, yeah the trees. Yes, the trees. Unfortunately, I had to take down two trees, but um, so I'll be planting others. But um, yeah, no, it, it has uh, beautiful, um, beautiful trees. But the the thing is that the the house is all on the block, and plus I, I need it to be low maintenance for me because also I'll be having some time out. <laughs> That's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the beach, as I said, is only just down the road, so, yeah, it's just perfect. What sort of things are you doing to let people know about this concept? And added to that, do you see this as a sort of a model? Um, because often people go out and do something and do a lot of the hard work and the, the experience that goes behind the concept, and it mm. can sort of stop there. Mm. But 
for new people coming in who think that's a fantastic idea I'd like to model on that are you thinking of doing any kind of franchise models in the future I know it's early days (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I just think this is so needed in so many places well it's so unfortunate Grace because there's there's nothing for carers there's no respite for carers from Sydney right through to Brisbane there is in Nambour a beautiful uh, carers retreat and it's called Carers Outlook run by the most beautiful people up there um, and also, like I said, you know, there's a, a, another respite um, at Wynnum and another one in Toowoomba that's run by a RAFME. Um, so, you know, there's, there's nothing, you know, for people to have. So talking about franchise, um, you know, it's like, OK, I'll, I'll start small and uh, see where we go from there. Um, but, you know, you never know what the future holds, you know. So at the moment, we're, we're on the website. Um, it's www.joylandcarersretreat.com.au and it's also on Facebook which you can like yes good and the same address I presume Joylands on Facebook if you just type that into Google you'll probably get it on the search Um, are you uh, intending to do other kinds of workshops Uh, I noticed there was something called the Philosopher's Shop there. Oh, yes, and, the uh, some, yes. <laughs> yes, I have all these sort of ideas going around in my in my mind. It's just a matter of, you know, getting them. And, and also, probably more appropriate is, is tapping into the needs of what people um, would like. So, but my idea is the, of the Philosopher's Cafe, that everybody has a chance to be able to bring a topic and everybody then contributes to what the topic may be. The, the thing is, you know, on the whole philosophy of it is that it doesn't matter what your opinion is, it's okay. And if mine differs, that's also okay. It just generates conversation and you learn the richness about other people's culture. You know, you learn about the richness of who people are as a human being. You know, the mind, body, spirit and the total essence of who that person is, you know, walking this earth with us. The other um, group that I'd really like to have is a yarning group, and that will be for um, Aboriginal community. And it's to hear the stories of, of their story and the richness and the traditions and, and what their meaning is. We can learn so much from, from each other. And I'd also like to, to write a group called uh, One Skin, One Blood, and it's uh, for all called community and you know we all have skin we all have blood the only difference is that it's our culture that makes us different so it's like you know I, I'm, I was born in England so my culture is very different you know to somebody like uh, like my partner you know being Latvian you know he and I are so so different but a lot of our value and beliefs are very similar you know so um it's going to be a very interesting journey. I'm just really looking forward to it. You know, just getting reshod on the bottom of my feet for acts of service. <laughs> <laughs> what a nice way to put it. Um, Sarah, would you believe we've come to the end of this session too on navigating the cancer maze? We'll be back shortly. And I'm sure you found this quite uh, inspirational today and quite a reminder, particularly for the carers of cancer patients who are often putting yourselves on the back burner. So uh, we'll be back with our last session shortly. Don't go away. 
Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Grace Scholar Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. The Institute's founder has almost 40 years' experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options and implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Grace Scholar Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at gracegoller.com or visit their website at gracegollerinstitute.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. We're back on Navigating the Cancer Maze, and this is our final uh, session today with Alan Slater, who's been talking about caregiving. Now, Alan's also a a family therapist, and Alan, I wanted to to get some comments on you about the family dynamic in healing as a family therapist, and perhaps uh, from some people that you've worked with, Mm -hmm. and in particular for for cancer would be helpful too. Mm -hmm. Um, well, family dynamics are, are, you know, are really quite complex. I mean, we come from dysfunctional families, get married into dysfunctional situations, and, and it can perpetuate itself. So, you know, at times it's very a very fearful place to be when somebody is diagnosed with cancer because they maybe all automatically think of the worst. And so, you know, a lot of people have got fears and they've got apprehensions and they don't know, you know, what's going to happen and all that sort of thing. So, you know, a lot of families, you know, they get very embroiled into being in control. And so then the person with the diagnosis doesn't have a voice. And so it becomes very difficult for people to be able to articulate what their needs are and what they want and what their, you know, their plan of uh, their therapy will be, you know, whether they want to go down a a natural path rather than, you know, using uh, different chemicals and and things like that. So, you know, the thing for me as a family therapist is opening up dialogue and it's having people together so that they're able to be able to start communicating so we can identify the fears, we can identify the apprehension that people have, not only like for a mother and father and the, the grief and the sadness and the loss and everything else that's associated with that, but it's also the person with the diagnosis, you know, because often they become mute, because if you've got a dynamic where somebody wants to take control and it's generated from fear, then the person with the diagnosis doesn't have a voice. They're not heard. Everybody thinks that they've got the good idea, 
Um, but they're not asking that person, and a particular interest for me is also in palliative care mm -hmm. and the dignity of the dying and what that person needs. I've done three, um, uh, three, um, oh, forget the actual terminology of them, but my family didn't want to have the normal, you know, they just wanted to be cremated and then their ashes scattered. Um, and so my father wanted to go back to England and be scattered where he was born. And my mother, she was planted in a um, rose pot that then, then was planted into the garden and, and flourished and still it's flourishing and it's actually called the English rose, which is quite apt. <laughs> oh, lovely. And then with my husband, we did a direct cremation with him as well. Um, and so when my daughter was ready, then we went to our favourite place where we always have family picnics and, and it's a, a beautiful place down in Hastings Point and we used to sit right on top uh, of this plateau that was overlooking the ocean and um, my daughter and I used to go exploring and you know things like that and that's where she wanted um, this, the ashes to be scattered for her father. So if we hadn't have listened to what he wanted, he wouldn't have been respected to be able to have what he wanted. You know, for for me, you know, it might have been, oh, well, he wants a cremation, and then it might have been something different, you know, in putting his remains in a plot or whatever, and he didn't want that. Mm. You know, and also in, in his process of dying, he just wanted me to sit and just to listen and just to tell me stories and just tell me about the hopes and and stuff um, that he wanted for his daughter and you know what he also wanted for me as well but he knew that I was at a, a different age and my life would be a different one than what our daughter would be when she was only well, 22 when her father died mm. and um, he had to work on, on a lot of things for himself with um, you know the grief and the loss of his life the smashed dreams of how it was you know, I was 25 when we met, he was 47, you know, and so he lived a life, you know, differently than me. So there was lots of things, you know, that he needed to be able to talk to somebody about, you know, the, the fear of, you know, not seeing his daughter, you know, being in relationships, you know, having children, being a bride, any of that. So he was able to talk to somebody, uh, eventually he agreed, uh, and we had this most delightful um, community social worker that came in and she was able to sit and, and chat with him. But a lot in family dynamics, you know, it has been about control and it has been about people being fearful of the unknown. So they try to, to make it as tight as what it can be so that they do mm. have that control and power over something. And it's often for the nicest of reasons because of the love that there's, yeah. there's the bond of the family, mm -hmm. even sometimes if that love is not uh, openly uh, shown. Yeah. So it mm -hmm. gets very complex for yeah. cancer patients. We're always encouraging people to find somebody to whom you can tell your life story yeah. early on in the piece mm. um, of your illness. It seems to free up a lot of energy actually yes. for other things even some potentials for other types mm -hmm. of healing to mm -hmm. to happen for that person mm -hmm. 
Yes, I've been working with a uh, family for quite a while now in my role, and um, and the joy of it has been that yesterday a sister that hasn't seen her sister that's very, very ill for 15 years, and just to be part of that process was just absolutely amazing and a privileged place to be. And, uh, you know, it's not only, um, you know, working with carers in my private practice, it's working with individuals that have self-esteem issues or assertiveness or boundaries or that they want to dream. I'm a great person in, you know, fulfilling the dream, you know, and what stops you and, you know, who's the saboteur in this situation and how can you make your dream happen? You know, what steps do you need to take? Who do you need as your support crew? that type of thing and also I work with couples with relationships and and uh, all that sort of thing and um, and also um, it's working with people that have lost their way you know they don't know what they want you know they could be depressed and how we can work with a person that is depressed and what we can do and how we can give them hope and and a future and something that's going to be a totally different narrative for them. Mm. You know, I'm not the one that I'm I am i am not the one that can actually make these things happen. But I sojourn with people, you know, I don't know their answers because I don't live their life. But I can walk with them, sometimes behind and sometimes in front. <laughs> um, and sometimes just being in that sacred place of just sitting and being and just listening and then just working with step-by-step what they want and how they can achieve it. Fantastic. I'd love to see um, the sorts of principles you've just been talking about incorporated into every cancer patient's care, Mm -hmm. into their holistic care, Mm -hmm. because unfortunately it does get separated out into the the technical medicine and uh, the psychological (coughs) medicine and then the spiritual stuff is left somewhere else as well. Mm -hmm. And I think it really is time that we came back Mm -hmm. to that more holistic approach mm-hmm. for um, particularly cancer patients mm-hmm. I think it's tough too as you've just said you might have people dealing with depression you might have people dealing with um, other kinds of life traumas and then they get ill mm-hmm. so then there's this cascade mm-hmm. of things to deal with far beyond what the illness is oh yes and it certainly impacts it We've come to the end of our time today, Ellen, and I am just delighted that you uh, wanted to come on the show on Navigating the Cancer Maze. Remember, folks, Joyland, mm-hmm. fantastic name. Mm-hmm. And if you go to grayschoolermedia.com, I will have information on there and some links to websites, etc., where you can get in touch with Ellen if something has touched you today and you'd like more information. And you can also get in touch with me always as well. So thanks, Ellen, so much for being here today. Thank you, Grace. And look forward to seeing all of you next week on Navigating the Cancer Maze. Have a great weekend. Thank you again for listening to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Please join your host, Grace Goller, again next Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, cancer is not something you have to face alone. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.